today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and tell all your friends. Coming up on today's show, Canada's ambassador to China said that he misspoke when discussing the Huawei extradition case. Who is ticked off as a result? Also, a listener asked us for an update on the Neil Banselman case, the Canadian teacher being imprisoned in Indonesia. We speak with Neil's brother, Guy. And the Queen has spoke up about Brexit. Or has she? The message is coded. More on that coming up. Canada's ambassador to China said he misspoke when he was discussing uh, the Huawei extradition case. Uh, he misspoke like three times because he gave them three separate points. Uh, it's amazing how uh, a, mis- a, a, a misspoke can turn into just a, a rambling diatribe, I guess. With this being an election year, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all pans out and what should happen with uh, John McCallan. Is it time to retire? Let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, has been advisor to national parties and leaders and such, and is with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. God, boy, it seems like more and more federal politicians are having a bad few weeks because you and I are talking a lot. I lately. know, <laughs> exactly. Clearly, clearly, you can tell where, where the news is. Uh, obviously, we talked about this and, and uh, John McCallum and what he said uh, in regard to uh, exit strategies that mm-hmm. perhaps China, the Chinese could use to, uh, ex, uh, to get out of the extradition to the U.S. of the, the Huawei CFO. Uh, now he comes out and says he misspoke. Was there another way? for the ambassador to China to handle this, or the, or the government? Well, he should have shut his mouth in the first place, right? I, I mean, I think um, McCallum, the government is clearly trying to distance itself a little bit from this. They're trying to manage it and not turn it into a further crisis for them by having to punt McCallum, at least right now. You may see McCallum go and in a few months, once uh, some resolution has found all of this, if, if one can be found all of this. Um, I mean, McCallum is not a trained diplomat, so you will hear diplomats tell you this is what you get when you sometimes put a politician who is not known, by the way, to be an outstanding communicator in a role where he's supposed to, uh, to drive nuanced messages. Some of your listeners will probably remember when McCallum was a cabinet minister in Mr. Kretchan's government, so a while back, but not that far back. Um, he was the national defense minister, and he got confused between Vimy Ridge and Fishy France. Yeah. Uh, most World War II veterans or anybody who knows anything about the Second World War knows what a mistake that was then, and he, he bumbles and baffle gaps from time to time. So, yeah, this is just ugly right now uh and how much uglier does it get when china recognizes exactly what we've said and their foreign minister stands up and basically says see there's political yeah. interference well and you already have some chinese uh some as uh, news outlets saying this is is bowing to china some anti-china newsletters bowing to china which the chinese will react to i mean the problem from a an actual resolution of matters perspective so getting uh the two michaels back and then dealing with the the, uh, the huawei cfo is that the chinese are now sort of wondering and looking and saying all right well do the canadians know what they're doing who speaks for canada what was McCallum uh, orchestrated? Was he or- was this orchestrated? Was McCallum asked to do this? It creates un- further uncertainty about Canada, 
when Canada should be talking from a position of strength, uniform uh, perspective, and uh, and consistency. So this makes it really tough with the Chinese right now. That's why the government is trying fairly. I mean, they're a little slow on this. They didn't uh, uh, immediately say he misspoke. It took them a day for that to come out, but they clearly have recognized they had to correct the record, the other element of this that makes it problematic for the government is the government has been saying, and McCallum actually himself said this, is, look, we're a rule of law country. That's why we uh, accepted the American extradition request. That's why uh, the uh, CFO will have the opportunity to go through the Canadian courts. But let the rule of law sort this out. Don't make it about political interference. McCallum makes it look like it's now about political interference. Uh, and again, an aside to what you're saying here, I think what I'm finding fascinating, too, is Trudeau, as he's starting on the campaign trail, is telling people not to get caught up in fear-mongering. Is this fear-mongering, or is it just the feeling that the government has no idea what the hell it's doing here? It's clumsy, and potentially that story does develop that, hey, do they really know what they're doing here? Do they have, if McCallum is Canada's point person, and he's made such an error, are we to have confidence in his ability? And it's not just him, but he is our representative to China to find a resolution here. It, it, you know, if you're the, uh, uh, your, one of your family members is in China, or you're one of the, the family members of the two Michaels, as they're now being dubbed, how confident are you feeling when you have the ambassador uh, in the mess that he is in? Uh, not very, I suspect. And if the Prime Minister is positioning this, if you ask questions, you are fear-mongering, is that going to work? Is that message going to resonate? No. Uh, you know, uh, again, no. Is, is this fear-mongering or just wanting to know what the heck is going on? And, and, no. and, of, and of course, the confidence that someone's in charge. Yeah, it, it, that, that would be the thing I'd be more worried about. Look, all sides, uh, the, the Liberals are already pushing out messages about this going to be the nastiest campaign ever and uh why because people uh, are making are holding them to account are you kidding me <laughs> exactly right that's the pushback um the the, uh, the conservatives are saying well trudeau remains uh unable to perform and he he's the one who's actually fear-mongering so there'll be more talk about who's fear-mongering and whether they're really doing it and what that means um, but, of course, you have to be able to question the government, and you have to be responsible in your questioning. And, look, I, I think um, uh, Andrew Scheer was right to say, uh, if I were the ambassador, or sorry, if I were the prime minister, I'd, I'd recall the ambassador, that there's certainly a community out there that, uh, that has that view, and in other circumstances, that would be the case, right? So... That's a question and a position, and it's fair to question the government's position on China. That's not lessening the abilities of, of Canadians to do their job. It perhaps sends a message to the Chinese that, um, you know, the Canadian democracy is what we say it is, healthy and vibrant. So I don't worry too much about questions. Um, uh other than other than walk this back and say he misspoke, is the only was the only other option to just bring him back and say, hey, you know what, we you need to step down. We need to find another position for you. We need to put someone else there. Yeah, and I look. I think they eventually will do that. I, I think. Is it is it a good time to be doing that now, considering no, that, the sensitivity the of the hostages? Yeah, I, look, I shouldn't say uh, hostages, detainees. Detainees. Well. Uh, <laughs> 
some might agree with uh, with your synonym. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, I get the prime minister's position, and I know other prime ministers would probably take that position because McCallum has done some work there, has visited the detainees, uh, has some rapport going with them. That is important. Um, but I suspect John McCallum won't serve his full term as Canadian ambassador to China if the tensions remain as... Uh, as they currently stand. Uh, again, uh, liberals slow to react to this. What has been the fallout from both the U.S. and China? How has his statements complicated this? I suspect the Chinese are trying to read between the tea leaves, a Chinese expression, as we know, uh, to figure out, all right, is this a coded message from the Prime Minister? Because it was only last week you and I were talking about the message the Chinese ambassador was delivering to Canadians. So is the Prime Minister saying through, minister, uh, through Ambassador McCallum that don't worry about this, we got it, so dial down the tension? Uh, was this a deliberate, uh, was it in fact a mistake? If it was a mistake, well, how confused are the Canadians about what it is they want to do, can we take advantage of this confusion and, and, and opportunity? I, I think they're weighing all those things. As for the Americans, well, <laughs> thankfully they have the President of the United States who hmm. makes so many different uh, errors or veers in so many di- different directions, depending on your perspective as it relates to where he stands I don't think McCallum really registers with the Americans at this juncture. What about if she's uh, the CFO is extradited or not? If she is not extradited, how will this look for the government? Um, again, it dep- will depend on the circumstances, right? Um, if Canadian, if what McCallum if it's the judge that publicly that- is, bo- is borne out to be true, that the Canadian that uh, the Canadian law found that the case the Americans had presented was wanting, and they punted, and she's allowed to go free, then I, if I were the government of Canada, I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> I'd probably just let it happen and, and stick with, hey, this is how our legal processes work. Um, I, I think Canadian and Canadian public statements right now, specifically around this case, have to be very well managed. Uh, what if, um, what if uh, the judge says, uh, she goes, the minister has the last say? I think the minister would be in line with the judge. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, if, if we're trumpeting rule of law, uh, and we're leading with that, uh, then it's hard to imagine that Krishia Friedland, unless there's some other, uh, some other diplomatic un- uh, event or, heinous activity that that comes up that we don't know about now but if it's a straight sort of one for one thing where um where where the court says this and uh, the minister has to render a decision on uh, has to sign off on it then i suspect she probably would i'm sure quietly they would like to see they, they would make sure china understood that look you know we're going to follow the rule of law because we told you we would uh, I hope you're going to release our detainees. I think that'll be a little bit more quietly done. McCallum said this was done to try to save the lives of the two Michaels. Uh, does this hurt or hinder that opportunity? Uh, I think Help it, or it, hinder? I think it hinders it. I mean, you know, the story's now become McCallum made a mistake. McCallum misspoke. Um, so, 
you can extend the um, lens of how far his misspeaking went. Does it now mean that, in fact, he was wrong? This wasn't going to help them? Uh, look, I, this hasn't been a great week for Canada's representative in China. It's not been great for the government. Hopefully, it doesn't have a negative impact on the detainees. Uh, uh, thoughts are, uh, I can't let you go without asking you what's transpiring in Kingston this morning. Oh uh, my goodness. And, yeah. uh, it's interesting that over the last couple of days, people in Kingston have been wondering about a plane flying around yeah. and it turns out that it's a surveillance plane from the RCMP and two people charged with terrorism in connection to the Kingston raids. Uh, one of them allegedly at this point could, uh, uh a Syrian refugee. How does this mm-hmm. complicate issues for the prime minister's office? Um, I I think by all reports, it's being managed appropriately. The public commentary that's come out to date is responsible. You had the public safety minister, Ralph Goodale, come out and say, look, um, uh, we can't say much on operational matters. RCMP are having a press conference, I believe, at 1 o'clock. But the threat level, so you, me, we don't have to worry because the threat level remains medium. Um, This could get more complicated if, Somebody makes it about an immigration issue. There's an immigration element to it, obviously, because as you as has been publicly identified, one of the people that has been charged uh, came to Canada from uh, is of Syrian origin. I think they may have stopped in Dubai first. Anyway, uh, there'll be some immigration debate that will be spawned about this. Um, it appears that the person, one of the people in question, immigrated in 2016, so that would have been under the Liberals. Uh, I think we need to know more information to see where this will go politically, but right now, in the very early hours afterwards, government, to be fair to them, is saying what they should say about uh, about the arrest. Uh, I mentioned the Prime Minister using the fear-mongering angle, uh, talking about the upcoming campaign. Obviously, this is more bad timing for them. How do you balance the fear-mongering with valid questions from concerned citizens? You guys are going to have to do a lot of that. I think citizens themselves are going to have to call the Prime Minister out a little bit. I think journalists, and you get the interview of the Prime Minister and others, are going to say, look, Prime Minister, I don't think this is a case of fear-mongering. I'm simply asking you a question. Uh, and I think that questioning uh, and constant questioning, I mean, he doesn't seem to call people out for fear-mongering at his town halls. One hopes that uh, on a go-forward basis um, that will be the case in the election campaign. But we all know this is going to be heated and fingers are going to get pointed. And I mean, that's sure. the great irony, of course, is... Uh, the, the, the Liberal Party has a history of telling others not to fear hunger, but they do a very good job of it themselves. You will recall, uh, and again, I'm sure your listeners will, that old Paul Martin ad that uh, got demoed but never ran about Stephen Harper putting soldiers in the streets with guns, you know, in the mm. 2005-2006 election, I believe that was. So, yeah, um, one person's fear-mongering, Scott, is another person's value proposition. <laughs> is the McCallum story over as far as the uh, the U.S., uh, sorry, the Canada-China uh, saga? Is this now become a sidebar? Mm, I think we've got a weekend more of this. I think we're going to see some reaction from the foreign press around this, which might influence the Prime Minister and the government a little bit. I think we might get some reaction, as best one can, from China 
We'll see what um, Chinese Canadians uh, who aren't fans of the Chinese government say about this and in different quarters. We talked about this last week in Jagmeet Singh's writing as it related to the Liberal candidate. Forty percent of that community uh, in that uh, Burnaby South uh, is uh, is of Chinese uh, extraction. So, you know, what are the domestic ramifications? We'll get a sense of that this weekend and how that may influence what the Liberals do and how it affects the bigger discussion. Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies. Tim, always a fascinating discussion. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Have a good weekend, Scott. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. You might remember, uh, and I'm sure you do, uh, the story of Neil Bantelman, uh, the teacher, uh, Canadian teacher in Indonesia who has been arrested, falsely accused, and the ongoing struggle for the Bantelman family to try to uh, bring Neil back home. And oddly enough, it was one of you, it was a listener that sent us a note the other day and said, what's the deal on Neil Bantelman? Is there, is there any sort of news to report there? So we brought Guy Bantelman in, the brother of Neil Bantelman. He is with us now. Thanks, coming in, uh, thanks for coming in, Guy. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. Um, we talked last time. Any idea how many times you've been in here talking about this? This is 44, I think. <laughs> it, it's hard to believe. And uh, for those, and I hate to put you through this again, can you just capsulize this story and, and what has happened and in, in how Neil got to where he is now? Yeah. In uh, early 2014, after six janitors were accused of uh, sexually abusing some kids at a private school in Jakarta that Neil works at, uh, those charges were, or allegations were, increased to include the principal of the school, Neil, who was a vice principal and a teaching assistant. Uh, they were questioned, uh, you know, arrested. They went through a trial in early 2015. They were released in August of 2015. Neil was um, made to stay in the country on appeal, and in February of 2016, he was rearrested. So it's next month will be three, three years again since he's been arrested. Uh, how is he? How is his wife doing? Uh, he's strong. He remains strong. It always amazes me how well he copes with these conditions. Um, you know, before when there were ongoing court cases and he was leaving the prison on a regular basis, it's different because you kind of you, you have milestones. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Right. You know, now it's more appeals and waiting for diplomatic efforts to work out and and not being able to know exactly when that's going to change. But he, he stays strong. You know, Tracy is very, very strong also and supports him very well, but it's an ongoing battle. What's life like him? Life like for him in jail? Uh, you know, we've tried to make him as comfortable as possible, making sure that, you know, his cell has electricity all day long, has internet access all day long. Uh, he has regular visits from supporters who will take him food on a regular basis. Tracy sees, sees him a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Canadian Embassy staff will go and see him usually on a monthly basis. Uh, he, he's in his routine, and it, as awful as it is, he, he knows what to expect and, and how to get things done, and that's the important part. Uh, the last time we had spoke, you, you, and as you mentioned, uh, Neil was going through a series of appeals and what have you, and then those sort of came to an end. Yeah. Um, what's happening now? What's happening since then? Because it looked like there was a, a giant pause there for a while. Yeah, we uh, we continue to work on this. This is something I deal with on a daily basis. And uh, This is your family's life. It has point. been for the last couple of years. Yeah, and it, people will come to us and they, you know, how do you deal with it? And you just do. You don't have a yeah, choice. You've yeah. got to deal with it. Um, but you, your life has to continue on and that has to move forward. 
right now, there's a lot of focus on diplomatic efforts. Uh, there's been a lot of negotiation between high levels within the Indonesian leadership. So there still is lots of communication. There's been no lull as far as the ongoing effort and, and communication between you and the government, government officials and such. Yeah. Unfortunately, the only lull really has been uh, what we we talk about in the media. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm a true believer that we need to be out as much as possible. Yeah. Um, the team in Indonesia, you know, they get a little bit concerned about, you know, messages that can be relayed. Um, they have to be measured in tone. But again, I, always, I, I also talk, think and talk about the, the human aspect and the, the emotion uh, with respect to this case, the impact it has on Neil and Tracy and, and our family and our daily lives. And that's the important part that I think you need to, to get out there. And, and I think it's, it's, it's a good message for Canadians overall. You know, you leave Canada and you are under the jurisdiction of whatever country you travel to. I was just going to ask you, what, what, is, what do you learn from this? Uh, that's what I've learned. Yeah, yeah. You know, money can buy you anything, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to really remember that, that, you know, what we see on t- in TV and on the movies, you know, this is not pounding on a table and, and demanding this, or it's not commandos going in to rescue. That, it doesn't work like that. And uh, you have to be leery as you as you travel around this world. I remember as you're going through this process over the last several times that we've talked, there was always something to look forward to. There was something that, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel that you were focusing on. What is it now? Uh, it's the diplomatic efforts between the Canadians and the Indonesians. Uh, and that has continued all through this, even though it's been out of the headlines. Yeah, it, it has not stopped. It's yeah. something that we continue on. We were, we're very lucky. The former Canadian ambassador to Indonesia is now the deputy minister for Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So his portfolio includes Indonesia, obviously, plus you know a number of countries in the area. So there's that, been, that continuum of, of leadership from that perspective. Uh, I go to Ottawa every two to three months, make sure that I talk to the MPs that are relevant. I talk to global affairs on a regular basis. And again, you, you've got to keep the story front of mind. There's there's lots of issues. There's 2,200 Canadians at any given moment that are incarcerated somewhere in the world. You know, what makes so Neil the most important? So there's lots of meals, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And again, the, the cases are a little different. Um, mm-hmm. They they don't go to this length by any means, uh, but it has a material impact and and you've got to continue to fight on. You just can't stop. I remember you saying that a lot of the people that were involved in this case when it first started aren't involved in it anymore. There's been changes politically and such. How does that change the discussion? You've got to... You got to restate your story, and, yeah. and sometimes you've got to get people, you know, understanding and and looking at the case file. Um, as I said, the the former ambassador has been that one constant, even though he's changed jobs, he still is in in a position to to make some differences. But you know, from the prime minister all the way down to everybody in the in the embassy staff, everybody at the school, everyone's changed. Um, is school still strongly supportive? Very much so. Yeah. Uh, what about elections in Indonesia coming up? Does that play a factor in any of this? I guess any political change does. Yeah, that's the next big uh, milestone that we're working towards. Uh, the incumbent, the current president, has been supportive of the case. Uh, he understands what's going on. Uh, but again, a leader of, of an emerging economy in the world, he does not want to be seen as being pushed around by mm. a Western power. Um, the ticket running against him... The person running for vice president uh, was somebody who supported Neil from day one, actually went and saw him in prison. Hmm. And there's a good opportunity there. But the challenge is we'd like to see consistency in leadership because we believe that will lead to a a quicker resolution. Um, Why, 
if it appears that that people are on Neil's side, why is this? Why are they so uh, cautious politically? I mean, we've talked before about, and you know, you, you don't want to go over there talking about corruption and such. But but obviously, they've had to clean their system up over time, and and Neil, in some situations, has been caught in that. Uh, is there any effort by them to? come clean on stuff and just to, you know, here's, you know, our, our judicial system is credible and so on and so forth. I mean, don't they need to somehow betray that as well as holding somebody that perhaps shouldn't be held? Yeah, that that's the problem because once you start pulling out one of the cards in this deck of cards or house yeah. of cards, everything's going to come down. So yeah. it's not just Neil's case. It's the prosecutors. It's right. the, the court officials. It's everything from a judicial standpoint that's, that's moved forward, all the appeals that have failed. Um, then they, you start looking inwardly. If, if this case is built on really no no evidence whatsoever, it's more hearsay, and you convicted this individual and gave him an 11-year term, you start pulling out that card, and all of a sudden everything unravels. It does then point inwardly to how the system works. Yeah. And perhaps yeah. others caught in the same trap that Neil is. Absolutely. Like the janitors. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it leads to a, a bigger question. And, again, an emergent economy, they want to be seen as having a rule of law. They want to be... You know, somebody, you know, they're a, a G20 country. They don't want to lose that status. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the fourth most populous country in the world. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you need that. And there is a lot of corruption, a lot of stuff that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, has Neil's attitude changed of the country he is in now? I mean, you know, uh, there with his wife, teaching, doing great things, helping the kids. My goodness, you know, and, and now he's been dealt this blow. Um, how does he feel about that? Yeah, you know, he and I will have some conversations that are quite pointed and quite, you know, aggressive at times. Uh, and I think he needs to vent. Um, yeah. he, he's a very measured, laid-back individual. And uh, Are I the think two of you alike at all or very different? We're very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I come more from that A-type personality where right. I'll push a little bit. Neil yeah. will kind of sit back a little bit from that perspective. But Neil... You know, that's what's helped him get through this. He, he is yeah. able to be measured. Uh, but again, he has a, a lot of ill feeling to what he's endured and what he's had to go through. How do you think you'd be reacting if the roles were reversed? Uh, I, I don't know if I'd survive it. I, yeah. I really don't. I, I, I asked ask myself that question, you know, putting my head down at night and trying to really understand and think about what Neil's going through. Um, I'm a type of person that needs to have a plan and needs to have milestones to work towards. The, the first... 13 months, you had that because there were court cases and, mm. and that it's There's ongoing. Hope. There yeah. is. There's always hope. And yeah. again, Neil was all about, I'm completely innocent. I have no problem surrounding my passport. I have no problem going in for questioning. Because justice no will rule on my side. Truth yeah. is going to yeah. be known. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, again, that blew up in his face a little bit. And even when he was released, you know, lots of people said, you know, why don't you just leave? Well, okay, those, cu- those thoughts did occur and, you know, Different things happen from that perspective, but at the end of the day, Neil does Neil did not want to be seeing as fleeing yeah. when he is completely innocent. Wanted to keep his name clear. Absolutely. Um, what about uh, the complainants in this initial case? What about uh, students, uh, even the janitors? Is there anything in the case that that can be uh, retried, refigured, re- recalculated, or is this now no? Um, it's done. It's over with. Uh, the sentence has been handed out. He's serving that time, and you're just trying to get him out earlier now. Yeah, that, it, it, it really has. The, the legal process is finished. Mm-hmm. That will never change. Neil will always have that conviction from that perspective. It's changing the, the mind of Indonesia's leadership and getting them to realize, listen, 
this has happened. We're not going to question anymore. There's no, there's no use trying to fight it because there is right. no mechanism that will help resolve that. It's now how do we get Neil home as soon as possible? What about a deal uh, with the Canadian government? You know, bring him here, let him serve whatever here. We've we've tried that. We've looked at Indonesian prisoners that Canada has. We've looked at you know multi uh, jurisdiction types of scenarios where several countries can be involved. Uh, for this case, for the notoriety, notoriety it, it attracted, for the countries that were involved initially, because again, this isn't just about Neil in Canada. This is about uh, a private school, one of the you know the, the most affluent private schools in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. where you've got Americans and British and Australians and Eastern Europeans, all expats going, you know, kids of expats going there to be go to school. It, it garnered a lot of attention, yeah. and they Indonesia does not want to be seen as stepping back from that and admitting anything wrong. Uh, big news story lately, of course, uh, the two Canadians being detained in China and the whole Huawei scenario and that case uh, evolving extradition and such. Clearly, you can understand what this family, these families are going through. Does your case get lost in the sauce because of the high profile of this? Like you said, though, there's so many more others. That yeah, are- you know, and I, I've got some personal views there that, you know, they're, they're personal, but when it comes to you know, what Canada had to do. I'm not totally in line with that. I understand from an international law perspective. Uh, the the families of the Canadians that are being held, I do. They, they have my sympathy. I know mm-hmm. what it feels like. The, the challenge just runs to us now is that China is part of that Southeast Asian right. bloc. Uh, you look at Indonesia, which has got kind of a softer stance in Indonesia um, over the U.S. The U.S. still is a bit of a power broker there. Mm-hmm. You've got to measure it because now Canada is standing up for the Americans with a Chinese uh, national in detention. You don't want that to impact the way that Canada and Indonesia are negotiating. So there are these nuances that you've got to really be uh, cognizant of all the time. How how much influence would China have over Indonesia in respect to releasing him? If they're and right now, do you want to keep everything kind of mum until that boils over? Yeah, we saw it, what happened to the drug trafficker. Yeah, the, you know, the better play there potentially for us is the U.S. and how the U.S. has an impact on the Indonesian military. Right, that might be a way we go down the road if you know if we don't get this resolved. You know sooner than later. Uh, so uh, how much does the China situation play into this? Is this something that now just an added layer to the onion of it all or? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a scenario where, you know, we think we have everything kind of packaged up, with, you know, that we can make some progress at a certain time. Yeah. We know that and we have to wait. And, and Neil, ironically, is okay just to remain the status quo because he does know what's going on on a regular basis and how to operate. It does add complexity because now you've got, you know, Canada, which is a third party to this Chinese-U.S. dispute, and where is that going to fit in the whole process? And again, if Indonesia then sides with Canada on this, is that showing the Chinese that Indonesia would rather side with Canada than the Chinese? It's challenging from that perspective. It seems like, you know, every day it somehow gets not simpler but more complicated. absolutely. Uh, Election coming here in the fall, does that play any part into this? Yeah, you know, obviously we've established uh, a very good rapport with the the current administration in Ottawa. Uh, I'd like that to remain selfishly for obviously Neil's case. Um, I saw a huge change in October of 2015 when when that election occurred. I don't really want to go through that again, especially if, you know, Mm. obviously if Neil's not home, it's just, it's it's reworking. It's getting everybody understanding the case because this is not the only thing the government's dealing with. And you got to remain... uh, uh, cognizant of that. Uh, how do you keep going? Uh, I know it's a day-to-day thing. You get up, the problem is still there. You got to deal with it. But 
You have to. Yeah. It's it's one of those scenarios that, you know, even when I watch TV and I look at families that are in different situations, you know, how do they deal with that? You know, a, a child that goes missing, for instance, yeah. you know, something very not, you know, different from Neil's case, but it, sure. it's it's how do they even put their head down Family at night? Family tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to continue on. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's thinking about Neil. He's not home. He's not free. You know, he's you know missing the, you know, the end of my parents, you know, lives, yeah. the, their elder, elder lives. Um, you got to do whatever you can do. And again, I've always, I've, I think I said it to you before, I, I chase everything down the rabbit hole and, until it doesn't make sense anymore. How are your parents holding up? Uh, they're okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, we had a, we had a, a good Christmas, I think, yeah. uh, overall. And, uh, you know, my mom's very strong. At this point, you, for lack of a better phrase, is this the new normal for you guys? I mean, you're, it's not like it's a shock anymore. Yeah. Does it feel different now than it did the first year? Uh, yeah, I, I think it feels different just because we know so much more, yeah. you know, the being naive initially when this first happened, you know, that's obviously escaped us and we know this is not something that's going to be resolved tomorrow. This is not going to be a case where Neil shows up at our doorstep in Burlington. This is going to be, you know, we'll know when Neil's wheels up out of Indonesia and where he's going and what that, that looks like and reintegration here in, in Canada. Uh, 11 years of a sentence, uh, and three or four now. We yeah, if you, if you add it all together, he's uh, he's probably forty seven months. What are they as far as sentences? Do they make them go to the end? Do they give you good behavior? I mean, how's all that working? Yeah, for he, him? he's usually at a, about five and a half years, about half term, yeah. and then he gets uh, credited for time. You know, being a community leader, the schools arrange blood drives in the prison that you know help. They've donated some teaching uh, time. They've donated some uh, computers. The school's done everything to lessen that. They've certainly benefited from <laughs> Neil's arrest, it would appear. Absolutely. So what's next? What, what, what do you do now? Uh, again, a, a trip to Ottawa is on the, in, the, uh, in the offing in the next month or so. We just right. got to work. And again, it's, it's not as easy as just setting up a meeting. You've got to yeah. have global affairs there. You've got to have the MPs you want to ha- The house has to be sitting. Uh, so that'll be, you know, over the next four weeks. And then really, as we move towards the middle of the year, we're hoping that, you know, some of the promises and commitments we've had kind of come to fruition and we can get this behind us. All right. Guy Bantelman has been with us, brother of Neil Bantelman, still being held in Indonesia, the uh, Canadian teacher who uh, found himself in this situation. Of course, the Bantelman family doing everything that they can in order to free him. Uh, Guy, again, thanks for coming in. Uh, Keep doing it. And any more information that you find out, feel free. We'd love to have you. Thank you so much. Good luck to the family. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've talked a lot here about Brexit and uh, the the tough negotiations and, and, and such that is going on in regard to that. Uh, Britain's opposition has proposed a Parliament vote on having a second Brexit referendum. Lawmakers scrambling to prevent the UK from crashing out of the EU without a deal. Now Queen Elizabeth urged Britain to seek out common ground and grasp the big picture, a coded plea to the political class to resolve the Brexit crisis that has shocked investors and allies alike. Of course, clock ticking down to March 29th. She said, and here's the quote, as we look for new answers in the modern age, I for one prefer the tried and tested recipes like speaking well of each other and respecting different points of view, coming together to seek out common ground and never losing sight of the bigger picture. 
uh, to talk more about all of this. Joining us is Dr. Andrew Glencross, Senior Lecturer, Department of Politics and International Relations, Aston University in Birmingham, and is speaking to us from Germany today. Andrew, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. No problem, Scott. So is this, in fact, a... We all know that the Queen, of course, as head of state, does not get involved and doesn't usually offer her opinion when it comes to politics. Is this coded message directed towards uh, uh, the UK's political elite? Well, it seems to be more targeted towards the politicians than the people. And that's surprising because, of course, she's supposed to have a connection to the people but be above politics. And when she's talking then about common ground, I think it's clear that it's about politicians who need to get their act together. How is this, how is this being received? And, and, and what, what, sort of, uh, what sort of impact does a statement like this make? Well, it cuts both ways because people want to read into it what they want to read into it, whether they think she's on her side saying that we need to pull together to make a deal or rather we need to accept that maybe for some reasons it's better actually just to go it alone. So it's becoming very controversial and the Queen doesn't like to be in such a position. So uh, no matter which side you're on, you're you're taking the message from the Queen and and, uh, carving it to fit your narrative. I think that's the case. And in, in fact, it shows that we are moving away from the bigger picture because we're not respecting different points of view. And I think the debate has really shown that. So maybe this will eventually trigger some kind of reaction and therefore get us thinking about the common ground. But it seems like we're still very far away from that in this country. Is this like a parent coming into the room and uh, demanding um, uh, peace in the valley, per se? Uh, How is this received by politicians? Well, I think politicians are very cautious about how they tread here because they don't want to go on the record and criticize the Queen. They don't want to also think that they're in the position of taking instruction from the Queen. That's not the role of the sovereign, of course in this system. But at the same time, they have to recognize that when she says something like this, the message needs to be understood. So does this put more pressure on politicians to get something done? Oh, I think so. I think it's imperative on them in the coming week, Tuesday in particular, when Theresa May's government is again presenting its case on Brexit, it's imperative for them to start looking like they have solutions, that there's momentum for going somewhere that the country itself wants to go. Uh, you, you said solutions. Uh, it seems that for the last several weeks, months, uh, there, there doesn't appear to be a solution. Everybody seems to be just willing to tip this apple cart over, yet not knowing what to do once uh, all the apples are, are on the ground. Uh, how do you all of a sudden come up with an answer when you haven't been able to for, you know, up until now? trillion dollar question perhaps given the the size of um, the economic damage that might happen if we don't have a proper deal and i think here what's important to recognize is that maybe this idea of respecting different views is good when it comes to the debating phase but when it comes to the decision making phase we need to go beyond that and we need to make a choice and we need to say if this trade-off is better than the other trade-off and that's what's crucial in parliament in the week ahead so uh, will this change the course of action? Will this, will this stoke the fire? I don't think so, but I think it's, it's a marker. It's a line in the sand, as it were, because the Queen might get drawn into this, this even further if 
Parliament really has no working majority if Theresa May falls from power the Queen would be asked potentially to choose another Prime Minister. And this is a sign that she doesn't want to go there. She wants the common interest, the common ground to be found well before anything involving her needs to happen. Uh, could it be this is a problem that the UK cannot fix and it will take someone like the Queen to offer directive? Well, certainly there's the problem about whether or not the UK political class is waiting for the EU to provide a solution. But of course, people have been saying that Parliament should actually be dissolved or paroled, temporarily suspended, which I know in Canada has been very controversial in the past. And so that shows us that everything seems to be up to for grabs constitutionally. So maybe the Queen will get involved. So what happens if that's the case and and UK finds itself thrown into another election? Is that a solution to the problem? A, a rejuggling, well, a, a rejuggling of, of the pawns on the chessboard? Yeah, the politicians might think so, but what if the voters don't actually, can't make up their minds and they don't give that solution by actually returning, say, a similar kind of hung parliament? You can fob off the decision back to the people in that way, but perhaps they won't come up with anything better. So eventually it is about politicians in parliament fixing it. Has she, um, has she upset or ruffled the feathers of one side or the other by saying what she has said? Um, again, or is it just each side interpreting it differently to, to suit their narrative? Um, does, does it appear like she is taking a side one way or the other? For example, does she, mm. do, does she want another referendum? Does she want to, to work this out with the EU? Has there been any sort of indication on which side she lies? Well, a couple of years ago, there was the suggestion that she actually had made critical comments about the EU and was actually inclined to, with her passion, obviously, for the Commonwealth, think that perhaps the UK would be better off without such commitments to the EU. But that's speculative. And, of course, the Queen's position is one of political aloofness. And therefore, it's not that she's actually a partisan of one kind of Brexit or another. I think she's just one of these people, probably, who wants decisions to be taken. Because when everything else is in limbo, the normal functioning of government also is effect affected very negatively. Has the Queen, you talked about her uh, position on the EU, obviously she was there before and after and then after again. Mm. Um, has she always supported the EU? She's made great strides in the diplomatic relations that the UK has with other important European countries, important visits in the past to Germany, a much more recent but also very important one to Ireland. So she's been part of the diplomatic machinery of British relations with the European continent. So in that, on that basis, she's been a stalwart Europeanist and an influence, obviously, for better relations with Europe. But when it comes to the EU as an institution, a political system, there we don't know much about what she's thinking. What is she seeing or interpreting that other politicians are missing? Why, you know, obviously they're lost in the sauce, they're so deep in it, it's hard to, mm. it's hard to see the forest for the trees. What can someone like her, uh, just even getting this much attention, what is she seeing that they're not? Well, I think what intrigued me in, the, in that comment that you quoted was this idea of, never losing sight of the bigger picture. 
And I think with her life of service to the Commonwealth and the British public, I think the idea is about interests that lie beyond any individual politician, their party, their careers. So I think there's something she's invoking there which is very dear to her and which could also compel people perhaps to make a decision in that national interest. Is this enough to push the cart out of the mud? Is this enough to get things rolling? I don't think so, but let's see if this is actually going to be repeated, because if she's made an intervention like this at this point, the chances are that there might be something else coming in the near future in order to help unlock that decision point. And again, with her kind of, the importance of her messaging there, I think this is something that she could also repeat in the near future. Dr. Andrew uh, Glenn Cross. Dr. Andrew Glenn Cross has been with us, Senior Lecturer, Department of Politics and International Relations, Aston University in Birmingham, speaking to us from Germany today. Andrew, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.